All right, so I have a question for you this morning. As we begin, do you love your family? You guys sure? How do you know? How do you know you love your family? What do you do for them? How do you treat them? Let me ask a little different question. What's your perspective about your family? How do you, not if you love your family, but how do you see your family? What's your point of view when you think about, when you engage with your family? That's different from loving them, right? How do you see them? What's your point of view? About your family. Anybody want to share? You all love your family, but no one's willing. Hugo. Hugo will share his point of view. I feel like my family is like my own body. And so if they hurt, then I hurt. And so if I hurt them, I hurt myself. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? What's your perspective or your point of view in regards to your family? Jenny. So when she feels bad at times, she still moves to serve her family. Anyone else? Goes beyond those feelings. Emmanuel. So your family is a part of your own body as you treat them, you treat yourself, as they suffer, you suffer. Even when you're in difficult situations, you choose to serve your family. And then Emmanuel, you said what? Sorry. And then you're genuine, thank you. So you're, you're genuine, you're real, you're authentic with your family. And those are things that are all true. But those are things as well, each of those as we've walked through Romans 12, they've been things that have been mentioned about what family? God's family, about our family, right? And so as I asked you, what's your perspective on your family? Those are all right perspectives, but that is a limited perspective. We need to think bigger than that and consider the family God has given us. Because remember, this is not a letter to me. This is not a letter to you. This is a letter to us. 
Because through the gospel, through the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, God has brought us into his family. We are his sons and daughters. We are part of his family, and as a part of his family, we are brothers and sisters. This is our family, and this is who Paul is speaking to. And so that includes your immediate family, but more accurately, it includes us. And I have to remind myself, I have to remind us each time that we are talking about, we are considering us. Our shared life together. And as Paul has talked about this, the primary characteristic or the virtue that stands out in our sibling relationships as brothers and sisters as living stones, piedras vivas, what should be primary, what should be front and center is love. As we work through chapter 12 and verse 6 and 8, it became clear that each of us are gifted individually. We each have a specific way that we've been gifted to serve one another. They're different gifts and they're individual gifts that we use to meet each other's needs. But as you get to verse 10, it moves from what's specific and what's individual about our gifts, and it includes all of us in the responsibility to love. We're to be devoted to each other in love. It's not that some of us have the gift of love and others of us don't. It's that we all, us, all of us, are to be devoted to one another in love. No one gets a pass from participating in loving one another. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you are following Him, whether good or bad, you are a part of his family. If you're with Jesus, then you're with his family. The two go together. It is a package deal. And we're to worship him together as we share our life as a sacrifice together. But remember, as we talked about last time, participation in this family it requires a decision to love sometimes we don't feel like loving it requires a decision we're actually supposed to each of us lead in making the decision to love one another to put the other before ourselves to put us at times before me and we're to each lead in that we each are to encourage that and demonstrate that in our lives. And at times it takes a persistent, focused effort, a difficult effort to do that. 
But the source of that love is not ourselves. The source, as Paul tells us, is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that moves in us, and in this passage, it communicates and it overflows out of our lives as we love one another. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love. We love in and through the love that we have received and experienced in and through Jesus. If we are loving a different way, it will not last. If we are loving a different way, it will fall short. We are to love from the love that we have experienced, from the love that we have received in and through Jesus. That's the source of our love. And as we do that, that's God's will. That's God's will for us. That's His good and pleasing and perfect will for us is to love each other in these relationships through His power, through the Holy Spirit, as He moves amongst us and overflows in our family. And so I want us to continue to look at the different aspects of this love. We talked about the decision to love. We talked about the source of this love. And this morning I want us to talk about the outlook of this love or the perspective or the point of view of this love. What's our point of view of each other, of our family? How do we see each other as we share this life choosing, making decisions to love each other? Does that make sense? What's our perspective? What's our point of view of each other, of our family, as we share life and love each other? So I'm going to read uh, the the passage in its entirety, uh, verse 9 through 13, to give us context, to remind us, and then we're going to focus on verse 12. I want to give us the context and then we're going to focus on just the one verse as we walk through this point of view. So chapter 12, verse 9 through 13, first in English and then in Spanish. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. All right. Look at verse 12. There are three things there. Okay. Three things that should shape our point of view as we share life together and as we make decisions to love each other. As we decide to love each other in these relationships, we must be joyful in hope. It's saying that we need to be joyful in our relationships because of what we anticipate, because of the expectations that we have as we share this life. 
Our hope is based on what we anticipate, what we expect. And so I want to ask you, what do you hope for in your personal relationships? What is it that you anticipate from those that you share a close relationship? What are your expectations? Of others, what are your expectations as you engage in a close personal relationship? Anyone? If you have no expectations, then it will be easy to be in a relationship with you. You expect them to treat you as you've been treated? Anyone else? What do you anticipate? What do you expect? Travis. You expect help? Oh, okay. <laughs> Annalise says you expect them to treat you better than you treat them. That's being honest. <laughs> Anyone else? I think like proximity, like seeing one another. You expect to be in close contact? Interact. What are their expectations? Communication. Expect communication. Who said that? Oh, okay. Thank you, Addison. Maria. Not waiting to be served. <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel says he expects you to laugh at his jokes. <laughs> Alright, so everyone, everyone laugh. That was a joke. <laughs> no. Now that's his expectation, and I will tell you that's that's pretty authentic of him to share that. That's pretty real. If you don't laugh at his jokes, then, then you realize something is happening in the relationship. His expectations have been crushed, right? If he tells jokes and we don't laugh, what's he going to do? How's he gonna, how are you going to feel, Emmanuel, if you tell jokes and I don't laugh? Do you want to be with me? You don't want to be with me. It's discouraging. He doesn't want to be with me if his expectations aren't met. I've been thinking about my expectations with my wife, my expectations with my kids. What expectations do I have for them and what they're going to do and how they're going to live out their lives and what's going to happen when they don't meet those expectations? What's going to happen when you don't serve me the way I expect? What's going to happen when, when you don't communicate to me the way that I anticipate? 
You don't meet my expectations. You don't respond the way that I desire. Anything that we hope for. Any expectations that we have outside of Jesus and His kingdom may be disastrous. They may let us down. Everything that we mentioned, everything that was spoken, uh, those are not bad things, but those are things that if we put our ultimate hope in that, if our joy is based on those expectations, our joy will go up and down, up and down, up and down, based on the response to our expectations. But we have to put our expectations in Jesus and His kingdom. If your joy as you engage and as you are in relationships with each other, if it is based on your expectations, it's too much for that relationship. If my my joy is based on how my wife, the closest relationship that I have, if it is based on how she treats me and if she meets my expectations, how she speaks to me, how how we how things happen in our household. At times it's going to be disastrous. I will not be joyful. No matter how committed the relationship is, my hope can't be in you. My hope can't be in you meeting my expectations. Our relationship is fragile. That hope is temporary. And a hope in you, that's... It's just—it's it's un, unreliable. You're not consistent. You won't always be there for me. You won't always meet my expectations. You won't always fulfill my needs. You won't always serve me. So, in my mind, then, what do we do? We back up. We avoid. We limit our interactions. Because if I continue to be in this relationship with you and I continue to hope and have expectations of you and you continue to let me down, why would I continue? Why would I stay in this relationship? Why would I continue to hope? But as brother and sisters, as brothers and sisters in this gospel family, I can have great expectations for you. I don't have great expectations of you, but I have great expectations for you. Let me explain that. It's not because of you. It's not because of who you are. It's not because of what you will or won't do. But it's because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Christ 
is in you. The hope of glory. I can hope in that. I can hope in that expectation for you. Not my expectation of how you will treat me. And that's not just positive thinking, but that's putting my hope and the security of God's word. Not in you, but in Jesus. Not in you, but in the security of God's word. I put my hope in his word. And I know that he who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's done. God is at work in you and he will continue to work in you. I can have hope in that. And it says, until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Paul tells us that in Philippians. God will finish with us. God will finish his work in us. And I can hope for that. I can expect that because God says that. And that's the hope of glory when he returns as his kingdom is established in and through us. I've struggled with this lately with my mi suegro, my father-in-law. Recently, he has been transformed. The gospel has changed him. I can see and I have witnessed now the Spirit of God in him, working through him. I have watched him do things out of love. I've watched him put others before himself before himself. Things that I did not witness or necessarily see before. These supernatural acts and response and words that I have seen and witnessed in his life. Now before, for the first 21 years that I knew him, my expectations of what he would do, of what he would say, of how he would respond. Honestly, they were not very high. I didn't have great expectations. But as I've seen these changes in him, and as he's visited, and as we've spent time with them, then I found myself hoping in how he's going to behave. I'm excited. I, I, I'm expecting. I have expectations of what he's going to say and what he's going to do and how he's going to respond. I have, I'm anticipating that he's going to love us now, selfish, selflessly. He has not done that 100%. None of us are able to do that all the time. We fall short. We will fail each other. But I cannot decide to continue to love him based on my hope of what he will do or won't do. I have to continue in this relationship now 
trusting what God has done what God is doing and what God will do in and through him my trust, my expectations are not in him, not in his behavior not in his response, my trust is in God what God has done, is doing and will do in him and then I get to be a part of that. I get to participate in that. And if my hope is in God, not in Him, if my hope is in God, not in you, and I get to participate in what God is doing in you, in us, and that He's going to bring us to completion, that He's going to finish the work He began in us, then I can have joy as I get to participate with you, and God is changing us, regardless of sometimes when you treat me in a way that I don't appreciate, when you don't meet my expectations. Does that make sense? We have to reassess and we have to be sure of our hope. Because we can quickly hope in other things. I didn't have much hope for my father-in-law, but then I watched God change him, and all of a sudden I felt my hope going in different things. In his behavior, in his response, not in God. We can't have our hope in that for each other. It has to be in God. So where is your hope? Where are your expectations? as we continue with one another in relationship loving one another it has to be in Jesus it has to be ultimately in his kingdom amen don't put your hope in me don't put your hope in what I will do or not do please don't do that Put your hope in Jesus and His kingdom. But as we do this, this takes time. It's a process. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope of what God will do and how God will finish us. Is, are any of us finished? If you're finished, you don't need to be here. But if you're not finished, then we are in this together, in this work together, in this process, and it takes time. And so in these relationships, as we continue to make the decision to love, we're to be joyful in hope, and then second, we're to be patient in affliction. We're to remain under the weight of the difficulty and the struggle of our lives being pressed together. As we share life together, as our lives are literally being pressed together, it will be uncomfortable. It will be difficult. And this is saying we are to remain in that. We're to be patient in that. We're to endure in that. 
to continue. Right? Not when you don't meet my expectations or you don't do what I anticipated, not to remove myself, right? Not to get out of the situation, but to remain in the relationship, to continue and endure. And patience is needed for this process. So I want you to look to your left or right, to your brother or sister. Find someone and tell them that loving you requires patience. All right, everybody said that? Everybody's received that? Does anyone disagree? Let's just be real, okay? Truth in church. It requires patience. Now I want to ask you, are you more patient with yourself or with others? Who are you more patient with? <laughs> now see, Melanie says right away for herself, and I've witnessed and seen in her life an, an immeasurable patience with others. But sometimes I've already decided, I've already upset, and she's like, wait, wait, wait. But right away, she says, myself. She's more patient with herself. So she may be very patient with others, what I've seen and witnessed, but she is more patient with herself. Now that's where I fall. This past week has been stressful for me. We had to go and marry someone and come back and Karina is about to leave to go to school and then I found out for my job next week back-to-back -back days I have two surveys from the Joint Commission that I am completely responsible for on Thursday and Friday. The most important and the most difficult two days of two years for me will be Thursday and Friday next week. There'll be a surveyor who comes on site and is looking through everything that we've done that is asking me questions and the therapist questions and the nurses questions and the doctors questions and looking for mistakes that we've made to ensure that we're providing quality care. So since I found this out, you can ask my family. I've been irritable. I haven't had much patience for anyone else. And as I have 
process through that and try to consider that, I realize that I've been giving myself so much patience, right? So much benefit of the doubt in this time, in this situation. This is so hard for me. This is so difficult for me. And I'm just patient with myself and all the bad things I'm doing and saying and the thoughts that I have. And I'm just using all of my patience on myself and I have nothing left for those around me and if you don't meet my expectations I'm upset if you don't respond or do what you're supposed to do I'm upset I'm offended I'm ready to get angry I have no patience with those around me because I'm so patient with myself I won't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. But I can justify everything that I have done. Does that sound familiar? I see a few smiling eyes. <laughs> Some of you, you might not be defending yourself, busy making excuses for yourself or being patient with yourself. You might be busy being critical of yourself. And you're so upset with yourself and you won't give yourself the benefit of the doubt and you won't give yourself any patience. That's still, that's still a self Focus. I'm over-focused on how terrible I am, or I'm over-focused on how patient I am with myself. We can go in either direction, okay? Either one is self-focused. We have to change the focus. Because we're not waiting on each other. We're not being, we're not waiting on ourselves. But we're waiting, we're being patient on what God is doing in us. So we have to wait with a supernatural patience. Right? If my expectations and my hope is not in you, but it's in God and what He's going to do in you, then as I have patience, right? As I'm patient in this situation and the work that who is doing? The work that God is doing, right? And so as you mess with me, as you offend me, as you don't treat me well or right or the way I expected, when you let me down, then I have to supernaturally give you grace. Because I'm being patient with God, waiting on God, not you. Does that make sense? Are we willing to give each other grace? to think the best to be patient with one another as we're in process and as we offend each other not give them what they deserve I want to say it a different way 
right? Because we can all say, oh yeah, yeah, let's, let's show each other and give each other grace. But what I mean by that is that we would not respond or give each other what we deserve. And I want you to listen. When, when we withhold this grace, when we withhold this patience from one another, right? It, it's not that you are seeing the other person wrongly. You may be right about them. They may deserve to be treated poorly. They may deserve, like, to, you know, like, like you treat them this way. Like, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that we don't offend each other. But if you don't give them grace, it's not that you're seeing them wrongly or them inaccurately. But if you don't give them grace, it's that you're seeing God inaccurately. You see God wrongly. He was patient with you. He gave you grace. He did not give us what we deserve. And the person that you want to withhold this grace from, that you don't want to be patient with, God is giving them grace and God is being patient with them. And are you going to not do what God is doing? Well, God is going to be patient with them, but I'm not being patient with them. I know better than God. My standards, my expectations are higher than God's. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that we don't address the offense. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, talk about and share the hurts and when we treat each other wrongly. But we have to be willing to do it patiently with grace as God is working in us and we have to trust God be patient in what He is doing. It is not your responsibility to fix it. God is over that. You participate. Don't avoid. You participate and what God is doing. But He has to do it. We're joyful in hope. We're patient in affliction. And the last piece is we're faithful in prayer. It's being constant, spending much time together in prayer. This is actually what we do. The first are these perspectives that, we that we're supposed to have, right? As we uh, share this life together, and this is what we do. We, we, we are constant, we're consistent, we're faithful to pray, and literally to pray with one another. And for one another. And in that, we realize that we are limited. I can't fix you. I can't change you. But who can? God can. And so we go to God and we pray to God that He would change and that He would transform us. 
Humbly asking him to work in our lives. And humbly asking him to help us participate in the work that he is doing. I didn't say fix all of our situations. But to fix our perspective. So I want to ask you. As we finish, do you pray for our life, for others, in the way that you pray for your own? This is where to be faithful in prayer, constant in prayer together with each other for one another. So do you pray for us, for each other, the same way you pray for your own life. It should be both. And if we truly shared our lives together, then we would be so aware of the need, we'd be overwhelmed with the need that we have, the needs that others have, and we'd be ready to pray for them. We would feel helpless, and so we would be ready to pray as we share relationships, as we make decisions to love each other. We would pray more because we'd be aware of the need. If you don't pray for your own life, if you don't pray for the life of others, if you don't pray for our life together, it's because you don't see the need. That convicts me. So I want us to end by faithfully praying together. What would it be like if we faithfully prayed for each other? If we faithfully prayed that this shared sacrifice, our life together, that we are making together would worship God. That would be holy and pleasing to God. If that was our prayer for us, let's pray together now. Lord, we humbly ask we humbly ask for you to do this work in and through us. Lord, I pray that we would each make the decision to love each other. Lord, I pray that we would each be intentional and diligent about our relationships, about our life together. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in and through each of us, overflowing into our life together. Lord, I pray that we would each be joyful and hope and hope of the kingdom that we would hold on to the expectation of your finished work in us your finished work in our life together your finished work in all of creation 
and that we would remain with a supernatural patience. That we would have supernatural grace in our relationships for one another. Through the difficulties, through the afflictions that we experience. God, please work in us. Please work through us. Please help us to make and offer our life together that would be holy and pleasing to you. Transform us by the renewing of our minds to understand and live out this love in our relationships together as your family for your glory. May we continue to pray this way. Give us faith to pray this way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.